Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Welcome, everybody, to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. I'm Jason Zone Fisher. Thanks for tuning in to another week, another edition here of Center Court. Today, we're talking about 2020. This year has been a heavy one, to say the least. We've lost so many legends, so many icons. And Ralph and I thought we would take this week's episode to reflect on the incredible lives and careers that so many of these true icons uh, who have passed away. We want to pay tribute to them. But before we do that, Ralph, how you doing over there in Virginia? All is well, just like you said. It's a very it's an iconic year mm-hmm. um, in, in many, many ways, from celebrating people's lives to the pandemic to, you know, moving. So it's great that we can do this show and just talk about people's legacy. And it's kind of going to be made a ride. But we're doing well here in Virginia. Uh, how are you in California? Are you still hanging out at the beach? Yeah, actually, I am. You know, it's been a nice uh, living in Los Angeles. Uh, no complaints for me here. It has been an uh, amazing little getaway to the beach. Try to do that once every week or so. Just spend a couple hours in the afternoon, get some fresh air, jump in the ocean, really take advantage of the fact that I live in California. Something that I didn't do often enough before there was a pandemic and quarantine. So that's a silver lining of this time is that uh, I'm exploring nature and with the family, getting out, getting into the ocean, really embracing that California lifestyle a little bit. Now, what beach do you go to? Because, you know, when I was in California, I wouldn't go to a lot of those beaches because the water was dirty. So what do you go to the beach? Malibu or you go Malibu. Yeah, Malibu. It's incredible because just it's a 30 minute drive from where I live, but it feels like you're on vacation. You're somewhere so far away. And I often I don't know if you do this when you travel. I picture myself like, wow, what would it be like if I lived here? What if I grew (laughs) up here? Malibu just seems like a different universe than what I'm used to growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, or even where I live in L.A. in sort of the middle of the hustle and the bustle of city life. Malibu is a, a beach town. It's it's paradise and it's nice escape during mm-hmm. this quarantine to get yeah, there. I know for a few, few people hours. that live there. The views in Malibu are amazing, so you get the views. But I don't know if I would want to live on those cliffs, <laughs> yeah. the hill, and the earthquakes and the mudslides. So. You get the good with the bad, but, you know, it's, it's very nice out there for sure. Enjoy that's it. true. That's true. Well, we like to start all of our shows with what's new, what's good, and something that's new and, and surprising more than good is Steve Nash, the incredible point guard, uh, had a inc- Hall of Fame career as a player, was just named the new head coach of the Brooklyn Nets with a whopping 
career coaching record of zero and zero. He will be making his debut. You know, making his debut, come on now, he, he's a great person, guard, Hall of Fame NBA player, Hall of Fame person. But you coming in with the likes of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving with attitude from the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if he can hold those guys down. You know, it's be like going in and coaching LeBron. LeBron's going to be the coach like he did with Teron Lou, right? Basically, I'm the coach of the team. I'm the player. And so, and we didn't know, and no one knew that his name was even in the ranks to go into the coaching world. So you got coaches out there are lining up. There are a lot of teams in the NBA right now that, that are looking for coaches and, you know, Brett Brown, the Philly and New Orleans coaches. And I mean, there's just coaching positions all over the place right now in the league. But that was a surprise. We'll see what happened. But I don't know the adjustment between two potential Hall – well, we know one potential Hall of Fame player and Kevin Durant. But Kyrie Irving's probably that way as well. But how will Steve Nash really hold that down? And who will be his assistant coaches? Well, they did announce that Jock Vaughn, who was the interim head coach this season, will be the top assistant for Steve Nash. So he's going to stay no. with the team. He's going to be the highest paid assistant in basketball, reportedly. Wow. Uh, wow. And he did a very good job in the bubble with uh, a Brooklyn Nets team that had six of their star players opt out. And still Brooklyn, you know, competed given, given their roster. There's a great young core of talent. Guys like Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, and obviously you add to that uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie okay. Irving. There's a lot of potential there. It was a highly sought-after coaching position, and it was surprising that Steve Nash gets the nod. But it seems like to me there was – I mean, he played with their Nets GM, Sean Marks, for three mm -hmm. seasons with the Phoenix Suns, so they had a good relationship. Yeah, and Steve Nash – was an advisor with the Golden State Warriors during the time that Kevin Durant was there. And um, I, there. Yeah. I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised that I have a feeling this hire, a lot of it comes with the blessing and maybe urging of Kevin Durant because you well, know they you want to keep him happy. Yeah, I think it very could be. I mean, I didn't know that detail with their relationship and forgot he was in Golden State and the relationship there as well. But, you know, he's still a, a West Coast guy going to Brooklyn, the weather – it's a whole different dynamic. But how would you feel if you were Jacques Vaughn? I mean, you, you took him there, you had him, you were looking to coach, you know, Kevin Durant, and you had opportunity. Now you become, um, I mean, how much money it makes, whatever. But how would you feel if you were the assistant coach, but now you'd be the head assistant coach instead of the head coach? Mm -hmm. You'd be shocked to be a head coach. Well, uh, who knows what the conversations are happening behind the scenes. Uh, he'll obviously be well compensated, and he's probably going to have m a lot of responsibilities, more than a typical assistant coach would have, given that Steve Nash has never been a head coach before. He's going to need a lot of help learning the ins and outs, the intricacies of how to do this day in and day out. I mean, we know he's a great basketball mind. He was an incredible point guard, a two-time MVP but that doesn't always translate to coaching wins and success. No, it's, and the coaching is a grind. I was there, the assistant coach in Phoenix, and you think, that oh, you can go in and do it and you got these things to do, but it's 24-7. It's yeah. nothing that as a coach, I mean, head coach as well, and you got your team and your staff doing things, but you got to manage the staff. You got to manage the front office a little bit. You got draft picks. You got trades. You got different things, different dynamics. It's going to be interesting to see how he does. I mean, good luck to him. He's a great player and great person. I know him a little bit, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens. When you were an assistant with the Phoenix Suns, who was your head coach? 
I had lovely Alvin Gentry. Yeah. With the head coach. I had uh, Dan Marley as assistant, uh, you know, was there as well. So we had it teed up, you know, very nicely. And knowing the politics of the coaching world now and that whole deal, Lance Blanks was the general manager. So I came mm-hmm. in with Lance, the general manager. I had Lindsey Hunter as assistant coach. I'd be riding on the airplane and Lindsey would say, I'm going to get his job. I'm going to get his job. What job are you going to get? Alvin Gentry's. <laughs> and lo and behold, during the season, we lost to Milwaukee. First time Phoenix lost to Milwaukee in like forever. And the owner came in and said, he's got to go. The coach got to go. And so, wow. Lindsay, and so, you know, you got to pick what side you're on. So it's great that Steve has a relationship with the general manager because if he didn't and the owner picks him, it's a wholly different ballgame. So he could do well there and he'll at least get some success. But I came in a situation where it was very divided. And I mean, I had the owner tell me how to tell a player, Marcin Gortak, how to shoot a jump hook. I mean, he, you know, he took me to his house. He had a big gym in his house. And this is how I want him to shoot a jump hook. I'm like, dude, you never played basketball in your <laughs> life. And then after about 10 games, he said, Ralph, I told you I want him to shoot a jump hook. Well, I said, Mr. Owner, basically, you can't shoot a jump hook from the free throw line. Right. He said, pick and roll. He's in the pick and roll. You're not on the post. So he had to break it down to him in video. But, you know, you get different dynamics. Uh, every team has, has different different ways about it. And it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Coaching profession is not an easy one. You mentioned Alvin Gentry, who he was just let go of his duties with New Orleans. He's regarded as a yes. great man and a great coach. And yet he's been fired numerous times by multiple franchises and i'm no doubt he'll he'll remain in coaching he'll find another job another opportunity but there is not much stability in the coaching world unless your name is greg popovich well i mean if i'm an owner and i see a coach that's got multiple teams no championships and had a losing season i mean do i want to win or do i just want to be average or below average and i get fired and I go, I mean, Alvin Gentry has been that way. I mean, I love him. That's a good person. But can I build a team? Probably not. Can I coach a team? Probably. I mean, you know, so I had coaches in Houston when I went into the league that were shoe salesmen. Assistant coaches that were shoe salesmen. They didn't have head coaches that coached the game. Dick Mata coached the Dallas Maverick with a football coach, wow. with a basketball coach. I had no idea. I never knew that about you know, Dick so, Mata. So even evolving now – We'll get. We'll have a show about coaching one day. But he was a football coach. He became a basketball coach. What happened to win a championship with the Washington Bullets at that point in time with Elvin Hayes and 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 um, West Sunsell, et cetera. But some coaches know how to coach. Some don't. I mean, we're going. We're getting the coaching stories later on. Some crazy stories about coaching in the NBA. But there's people out there that don't know anything about basketball. They're coaching. I mean, it's just kind of crazy how it works, but it is what it is. Well, that's actually a good transition because, as we mentioned, today's episode is going to be different than our typical uh, weekly episode here on Center Court. Instead of having a guest, Ralph and I thought we'd take a moment to just hit pause because 2020 has been spiraling out of control. We've been dealing with so much in terms of a global pandemic, the likes we've never seen before in our lifetime, to all of the social justice initiatives and racial injustice that has been taking place across this country, another virus that we're living through. Uh, But we've also lost so many legends this year, and it's all falling one after another, some shocking, some heartbreaking. uh, And we just wanted to 
reflect on some of those. And we've been talking about coaching. And one of the first names that we could talk about is someone that we lost in just the past week, John Thompson. Big John uh, died at age 78, just three days before his 79th birthday, the Hall of Fame coach from the University of Georgetown, who's beloved by many, a father figure to so many. Uh, He coached the likes of Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, Allen Iverson, um, and and he was historic, not just for what he did in the coaching world, but what he stood for as well. He was the first blackhead coach to win a national championship. And with the NBA players and what they recently did, standing up, using their voice, using their platform, refusing to play so that their message could be heard that enough is enough. John Thompson was doing the same thing. Back in 1989, he walked off the court against Boston College to protest Prop 42. Uh It was an NCAA measure that would ban academically ineligible freshmen from receiving scholarships, a move that he believed was aimed to limit limit opportunities for minority students. So he left the court and, and refused to coach. And he's been doing this his entire life, his entire career. And, uh, Ralph, I know that you had the opportunity to get to know John Thompson very well. Uh, I believe he even came to recruit you. Uh, do you have some some stories that you'd like to share? I do. I'll go back for a second, though. You have to understand where he, where he came from. So I'm growing up in Washington, D.C., a young man and playing basketball. You know, just amazing ride, goes to Providence College, went to NIT, but, you know, all that college stuff as well. But, you know, he was in Boston in the 60s mm-hmm. with Bill Russell. Yeah. And won championships as well. So he understood the racial divide at that point in time in the 60s when Martin Luther King and the crew was doing their thing in the 60s. He was right in that mixture of things with Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali and all of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He was right there. Yeah. Uh, now, now, Bill Russell, when I played for him and he was a general manager of uh, Sacramento Kings, he would say that guy couldn't play. You know, he, he would just say, John Thompson couldn't play, right? He would be, uh, he was just a backup. I used him in practice every day. But they would have that camaraderie when we came east. And again, I was still on, the, we were on a bad team with the Kings and came east and we played and John would come to the game or come to the locker room and see Bill. And they had a great relationship, but, you know, we just teased each other. And then Bill had his crazy laugh and we called him the walrus laugh. But John was a man uh, that, that stood for something in the 60s that carried over in coaching from the DC area in the market. And so he, I mean, this very, very, very powerful guy, but he did recruit me, uh, I, you know, going to Georgetown. And as the story goes, you know, I'm a couple hours away from DC, but Georgetown wasn't a dominant school at that point in time. It wasn't, the Big East was just starting. So they really had to establish itself, but he comes, you know, I get letters from him all the time in high school, Georgetown University, Georgetown, et cetera. And then he, we give him a home visit because we, we were looking for African-American coaches. Wasn't that many. Uh, UCLA had one, Larry Farmer, and Georgetown. I mean, mm-hmm. weren't many black coaches in the business at that point in time. So we said, okay, we'll, we need to look at that. We need to see how it goes. So you can imagine a six foot 10, 290-pound coach walking into your living room of your house. And my mother has never seen anybody that big as far as weight as well. She obviously seen myself, obviously being seven foot one at that point in time. But he walks in, comes upstairs with assistant coaches. He sits in a recliner chair that was my grandmother's chair on my father's side. 
insisting that my mom's eyes got really, really big and she thought he was going to break the chair. So anyway, that's, you know, that's the start of my relationship with Coach Thompson. Um, obviously, I didn't go to, go to uh, Georgetown with him, but he was that big of a person, not just from the height and the weight standpoint, but his whole presentation with Georgetown was amazing. Mm-hmm. And you guys, you had some incredible battles against him. He coached against you, you versus Patrick Ewing in college, Georgetown versus Virginia. I mean, these were not your typical college basketball game. This was like the Super Bowl of college basketball when that matchup happened. So I know he was game planning against you. What was it like to, I know you're not playing against a coach, but he's out there strategizing how to stop the mighty Ralph Sampson. What were those battles like? Well, we, we only played once, so mm. uh, the game of the decade, uh, there was a gentleman named Russ Potts, Senator Russ Potts, to help put that game together in the state of Virginia. And he knew Coach Thompson, he knew Coach Holland as well, and said, this would be a great game, great rivalry match. It'd be like Luol Center and Elvin Hayes in the, you know, in the, in the 70s. So that game was put together. I mean, I know more about it now today than I did obviously when I played. When I played, we just want to play everybody. Yeah. Um, we had Oregon State with uh, that that crew that they were number one in one poll. We were number one in another poll. They didn't. They never wanted to play us. So Patrick and them were lining up at the powerhouse. Big East was coming on strong. You know, ESPN was having it back then as well, just beginning to get rolling. And we 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 have this game on the schedule. And so people have to understand. You know, we in ACC. We we got a hell of a crew in ACC team. Michael and. You know, teams in, you know, Wake Forest and Duke and, you know, so we, we play good competition every night. So for us, it was another team in the schedule, but it was a big game. ESPN, cover of Sports Illustrated, myself and Patrick were laying out in Sports Illustrated, you know, pitcher. And so it was exciting and the building hype. People don't remember, though, we had played North Carolina, Duke, all the powerhouses in the ACC and beat everybody. And going into that game was, you know, Sports Illustrated pitchers. We had about a week to prepare. And we go into the game in the midst of the snowstorm. Uh, and so it took us four hours to get to Washington, D.C., which you know, sometimes only takes two hours to get to the Cap Center. And so it was a great just overall, you know, week or so at UVA because we really didn't have to go to class. We did, <laughs> but we, you know, the teachers like, what about this game coming up? You know, every professor, everybody on campus, you know, the, the hype was real. And so we enjoyed it, uh, you know, wholeheartedly. And we actually ended up winning, which was the best part. Hmm. But, you know, it was a battle. I mean, me and Patrick talk sometimes now and say, okay, great. He was more physical than I, I was more finesse. But he, the, the video, he'll say, oh, I looked up and all I can see was this guy is huge. So he, he'll say that video as well. But playing against, Patrick and, and Coach Thompson at, at that level, you know, was special, but I don't know how special it was. It was after the year after year after year. Now in his passing, we always think back, especially going to Hall of Fame events and all over the place, you know, and we can kid around about it and we can talk noise about it and uh, just enjoy it. So it's special to have people like that in your life. Absolutely. Well, it's been Really special hearing all the tributes that have come out over these last few days and, and this past week about John Thompson from Patrick Ewing, from Alonzo Mourning. Uh, Allen Iverson said 
thanks for saving my life, coach. Yep, I mean, he did. Uh, and he, did. He, did. He, he took a chance on Allen Iverson, uh, who was incredibly talented uh, in high school, but also spent four months in jail. He was in a, a big fight that he got in at a bowling alley, and a lot of people didn't want to give him a shot. They thought he was a thug and he would never make it. And John Thompson really served as a father figure to young men like Allen Iverson, putting them on the right path to – be successful and have a Hall of Fame career. And you saw at Allen Iverson's Hall of Fame induction, it, it was a tribute to John Thompson. He credited John Thompson Absolutely. With, with his success and saving his life. He said, here's the quote, I'm going to miss you, but I'm sure that you were looking down on us with a big smile. I'd give anything just for one more phone call from you, only to hear you say, hey, MF, then we would talk about everything except basketball. May you always rest in paradise where there is no pain or suffering. I will always see your face in my mind, hoping that I made you proud. Your prodigal son, Hoyer for life. That's from Allen Iverson. Well, you have to understand, Allen Iverson was an iconic high school player, football player. Yeah. Not a basketball player, football player. And then he just transitioned into basketball and became a really good basketball player. So at an early age, come on, he was in Newport News, Virginia, the man about Virginia, get recruited by everybody. He didn't go to class that much. He had a, a crew of people around him in that 757 neighborhood, mm -hmm. which is very hard to grow up in. Mm. So all the stuff happened, something breaks out. Um, and they're all stories about that, but I'm sure it's good, bad, or indifferent. It is what it is. And then John Thompson comes along and says, son, come with me. No, no other coach in America was gonna do that. No other coach in America was gonna take Allen Iverson. Now he could have gone to Virginia Tech or somebody for football. But they didn't want him. He was too small. Yeah. I mean, he could have been a quarterback, running back, but he got broken up in, in football. But John knocked on his door and said, look, son, I'm the only one who's going to take you. And he made him a Hall of Famer. So you can imagine not only that John Thompson had, you know, four or five Hall of Famers, 26 guys to the NBA, and a 97% graduation rate. I don't think yeah. there's many college coaches that have that. That's right. That's incredible. It speaks to the man that he was, a father figure to so many, not only incredible coach, uh, winning the national championship, leading Georgetown to three Final Fours, seven Big East titles, but beyond that, the the mark that he had on the lives of his his players, uh, students, um, that is the mark that will will live on forever. The legacy that John Thompson leaves behind, and it's actually a good transition. It's it's crazy that within the same week. We lost another coaching legend from college basketball, Lute Olson, another basketball Hall of Famer. He led Arizona to the championship in 1997 and 23 consecutive NCAA tournament appearances, along with four Final Fours. Uh, he coached more than 30 NBA players who had incredible careers, including two current head coaches, Steve Kerr and Luke Walden. Uh, also, Mike Bibby, Damon Stoudemire, Richard Jefferson, Channing Fry, Andre Guadalla. The list goes on and on. And you see the outpouring of support, similar to a John Thompson. They all come out saying how much they love this man, that he was a father figure to them, much more than a basketball coach. And Ralph, I know you got a chance to to meet and spend a little bit of time with Lute Olson as well at various Hall of Fame uh, enshrinements and and events. Yeah, I have. I mean, I mean, I find what you say amazing. Appearances in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, this shows you who he is, but also 
the quality of players and men he's coached and going on to play in the NBA or in life as well. That's a coach, not yeah. just on, on the floor. So I've had an opportunity, you know, due to the Hall of Fame. I mean, Coach Olsen got inducted in 2002. I got inducted in 2012. So, I, you know, when you go to the Hall of Fame, we had John DeLivo on here, you know, a week ago or so. And, you know, it's a family reunion. So everybody brings you in once you become a Hall of Famer. It's like a family. And so I'm sitting at the table. It's a Thursday night. We call it family reunion night with Lou Dolson and his wife. And we just hit it off. We talk about stories. We talk about basketball. You know, the wife talks and we talk about just life. You know, go visit his house. You know, he opened his doors up. Uh, and, you know, some people, you know, when they walk in the room and Coach Olsen with his white hair and his statues, <laughs> he's always going to be dressed in suit, coat and tie. He's always going to be laid out. And he just brought that peacefulness to him when he came into a room because, you know, he's not going to get hyped up and, mm-hmm. you know, scream at holiday. He did that when he was coaching as well. But he brought that into the room when he walked in. So I gravitated to people like that, especially at the Hall of Fame level. You know, when I would even before Hall of Fame go to a Final Four with Coach Thompson or Lute, I would go pay my respects to those guys because I knew what they were about. And then being in the Hall of Fame, you can understand their history, their story, you know, their their pedigree, their work ethic. You could see it. And 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 they did. So we built a relationship for, you know, since 2012 in the Hall of Fame, going to golf events, mm-hmm. to dinners, to raise their money for the Hall of Fame, to his calling that he loved. And it, it's just amazing. I did speak to his wife, you know, a couple of days later uh, after he passed away, just to say condolences. And she said, you know, he, he loved all the Hall of Famers. He loved basketball and, and he'll still be looking down on us as well. So two great coaches. I know they were a little up in age and got a little older, but when you see their legacy, it will last forever. But you will miss them. I will miss seeing them at these events. But, you know, we all want to respect them and, and cherish their memory. As you mentioned, our guest last week, John DeLiva, the president and CEO of the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, it's exactly what he said uh, during our interview with him, is that when a basketball legend, unfortunately, passes, the story doesn't end there. It continues at the Hall of Fame. It does live on forever. And the legacies of John Thompson and Lute Olson will live on forever, not just at the Basketball Hall of Fame, but through the men that they inspired so many current NBA players, current coaches, uh, and even the ones who didn't reach the NBA, the lives they impacted, uh, who've gone on to do great things. These are two remarkable men that, uh, the world is a little darker of a place having lost them this year in 2020. And, Speaking of which, we we have unfortunately <laughs> lost a lot of incredible leaders this year, true icons uh, that have gone beyond the sports world. And and to me, the one that uh, affected me maybe the most was um, Congressman John Lewis. He was, uh, it, it's hard to even understate all that he did um, in his life and in his career um, he was known as the conscience of the Cong- Congress. He represented Georgia in the United States Congress since 1987. That's 17 terms. And the life he led before that was remarkable enough, Hall of Fame worthy and human being Absolutely. status. I mean, Absolutely. to go from a son of a sharecropper 
to among the original 13 Freedom Riders who challenged segregated interstate travel mm-hmm. in the South in 1961. He helped organize the March on Washington with Martin Luther mm-hmm. King Jr. And he spoke that very day for, the for a long time. To speak. Yeah. The youngest person to speak on the march. I mean, imagine, you know, just that. But I mean, not yeah. to interrupt that, but he was the youngest person to speak at that point in time. It's crazy to be totally. that young and, and be able to get out there like that. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Youngest person to speak. And for a long time, he was the only living uh, right. member who spoke uh, that day at the March on Washington. Um, and of course, in March of 1965, he led one of the most famous marches uh, in, in history across the Edmund Pettus Bridge mm-hmm. in Selma, Alabama, demanding voting rights and uh, equal equal rights, something that he was still fighting for today. Uh, he was uh, a true hero, a true legend, a true icon. He was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and it was it was a really sad day when when he passed away. But he's someone who helped change the world for a better place, and it's just crazy that it happened this year in the midst of this Black Lives Matter movement when we're all still speaking out and fighting for the same things that he dedicated and devoted his entire life towards moving that line. You know, the, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it it bends towards justice. He was, he was pulling hard on the end of that, bending it towards justice. Yeah. He, I mean, it's amazing what he has accomplished in his life and, you know, with these coaches and people and, 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 you know, we all will leave this world at some point in time, but it's a legacy we built, but we must enjoy it while we're here. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that John Lewis had was when Obama gave him the Medal of Freedom in 2011, it was very special because he, he, he should have, I mean, you should have that. That's what the, the award is for and being recognized as that. So how do you, how do you recognize someone like, that? I mean, I've seen people change the name of schools to John Lewis, you know, since his death. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so all those things mean something. And I think we have to keep those legacies alive, like the Hall of Fame does. And John Lewis's legacy alive as well, like I'm sure this world would do. But really, what does it really mean in the end? You know what I'm saying? So I'm looking at it from that perspective. That's why we wanted to do this show. Like, what is it all about? 2020 has been a heck of a year. Uh, you know, from, you know, we'll talk about him in a minute, Mr. Kobe Bryant to John Lewis to everything that's going on. So I just look at him as the iconic person that, you know, I saw as a young kid, uh, you know, heard his voice. And I met him a couple of times being in Atlanta, but you knew you could be in a room and you knew that voice. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to go around and see, you know, you're not a tall guy or whatever, but you saw, you heard that voice, you knew that was John Lewis. So you would pay attention. And you would go over there and kind of hear what he had to say and it'd be a whole lot of people. And then he would shake his hand and he recognized you. Hey, you pretty tall, this, that, and the other. <laughs> Ralph Sampson, okay, great. But you wanted to listen to what he had to say mm-hmm. because he had, his words were powerful. His voice was strong. And you just knew who that was. It was like, you know, somebody else that had an iconic voice that you knew he was going to say something special. So you just wanted to be around people like that all the time. Absolutely. I've been very fortunate in my life and in my career to have interviewed so many greats, uh, athletes, politicians, presidents, uh, from Barack Obama to, to Bill Clinton, um, in various different roles and jobs and capacities that I've had in the television and broadcasting world. And I'm often asked, who is 
what's the best interview you've ever done or, or who's the, the, your favorite interview, uh, the, the, your favorite person you've ever met. And my answer has always been John Lewis. I remember mm-hmm. the day that I first met him. I was making a documentary film. I was right out of college uh, about uh, Ohio. It's called Swing State and the role it plays in presidential elections. And I was given about 10 minutes to interview Congressman Lewis at an event. And every word that he spoke held such power and such gravity. You could feel his presence, that you were in the presence of greatness and and something special. It was just something different that's hard to describe. You could just feel it in the air when you were with him, that you were with a history maker, a historic Absolutely. figure. And he just held the room held the attention and made you feel like you were the only person there. Uh, even if there were hundreds of people around, he'd connect with you and really make you feel like you mattered. But every word that he spoke mattered. The, he didn't waste a single word. Some, yeah. Yeah. He didn't waste time. He didn't waste a word. And someone who believed in getting in good trouble. And we see yeah, a lot of trouble. that right yeah, now yes, yes. in yeah. the streets with, you know, Pro, peaceful protesting and coming out and standing up. And he would be proud of the NBA players and the stance that they've been taking, getting in good trouble. You don't just go with what you're told. You stand up for what you believe in and what's right. And that's what he did his entire life. And I'm, I'm honored and feel very lucky that I had an opportunity to spend just a few minutes with him in his life. Absolutely. I mean, he, he got in good trouble. I mean, he even got his head fractured, you know, come across that Selma Bridge and those yeah. marches. So he, he understand it. Then he understand it now. And it's kind of, you know, crazy to see, you know, what has transpired over the, this year. But he at least got to see, for me, he at least got to see the things he's worked for in his past to evolve at a worldwide level instead of a local level, right? One off here, one off there. He at least got to see it in full effect before he passed. So I think that legacy will last forever, but at least he knows and he can rest in peace that he knows that things are moving and it's moving in the right direction. And for all the stuff he stood for and believed in, it still exists, but now the change may come. I hope so. It would be the the best way to pay tribute to John Lewis is, is voting. Register to vote and go vote and be heard because that's what he fought for his entire life, his entire career. That's what he was beaten for. That's what he stood up for. Yeah, Make sure to exercise your right to vote because uh, it is it is a right, but it wasn't always that way. He, he no. fought for that right for all of us. So that is the best way to honor his legacy. Uh, and someone else that we just lost this past week that was really shocking news um, was the incredible actor Chadwick Boseman. And Mm -hmm. he was just 43 years old, died after a four-year battle with colon cancer that he was very private. He kept to himself. No one even knew. So this news really, I think, took everyone aback and and rocked the world and and the sports world as well, because he was very connected with with the NBA. He was participant in NBA All-Star Weekends, All-Star Celebrity Games. He was in Victor Oladipo's Slam Dunk Contest a couple of years ago, I remember. He was a huge NBA fan. In fact, Ralph, yes. we were both at uh, All-Star Weekend in Chicago this year, which feels like 10 yeah. years ago now. No, no, uh, no. And I remember Chadwick was on my flight back from Chicago, back to Los Angeles. Um, and he was very 
unassuming and low key and very nice. He was, you know, shaking hands with some people who came up to him to say hi. He was, uh, you could just tell, just a, a nice guy and all of the outpouring of love and respect for him and all the stories that I've heard only further emphasize what an amazing person he was, not just an incredible actor. Oh, it's an amazing actor, but I'll go back to the day that Howard University, where he went to college and his upbringing. And because I know him personally, you know, the, the Denzel Washington in him, that was <laughs> kind of his coach mm-hmm. and gave him the money yeah. to take that next step. Uh, so it's amazing to see how someone like him impacted Chadwick. It's like John Thompson impacting uh, the, uh, Alan Harrison or Patrick Ewing. Yeah. Uh, you, you take people like that, and that's building what is called a legacy. So in doing that, he became who he is, was, still will be with the movies. Mm-hmm. But you know, his commitment to playing American heroes that the next generation could see is amazing. You know, how can you play you know, in 42? How can you play James Brown? How can you do this Panther thing? I mean, it, I mean that movie is so awesome that uh, actually last week when it happened, ABC played it entirely with no interruptions. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's powerful at a 42, 43-year-old young man. And, you know, you got John Thompson, who goes in their 80s, but you got a young man that's on that vertical, that's changed that dynamic of the world, having a African-American superhero uh, that's up there with the Avengers. And I watched that special as well that Robin Roberts did. It's amazing to see kind of how all that fits in together because you don't really realize it until it's impactful and somebody passes on. But he changed the culture uh, in the world in, in many, many ways that we don't even know. I mean, I seen a little kid online that had his little figurines and, mm-hmm. and he would give it, you know, Wakanda forever and so forth and so on. So he impacted even little kids that will last, I mean, another generation as well. So. Kudos to him. I wish he was still around with us. I mean, want to see more movies and more stuff that he can do. But how impactful, you know, in yeah. a short period of time in his life, you know, how that he was. And he kept he kept working with this colon cancer thing. He didn't right. tell anybody. So he just yeah. didn't want anybody to know it deep down. And then all of a sudden it pops up and it shocks the world. Yeah. And and like you said, I mean, what he represented uh was was so important to the African American community, playing Jackie Robinson, playing James Brown, playing Thurgood Marshall, and then the black superhero, Black Panther. Yeah. He represented so much and it's it's almost doesn't make sense. It's crazy for for him to go right now in the middle of mm-hmm. this movement that we're in right yeah, now yeah. when you see the nba games and it says black lives matter on the court when you see them it says equality on the back of their jersey and and everything that he stood for and who he played and what he represented to the community but also to the world and to lose him to lose john lewis to lose these people who who were pivotal figures in the african-american community but also beyond that transcended that in the world it's it's like you, you just you can't even make this up that this is no what you can't make it up it just it just it's just one of those years that you know i mean sometimes you have one tragic thing that happens in that one year but you don't have four or five of them you don't uh, have you know like no. we have this year and then one of the quotes that and i pulled it from chadwick is what i said you know whatever you choose for a career path remember the struggles along the way are only meant to shape you for your purpose so he he had that purpose as it was in him. 
But I mean, that purpose will now last forever. But it's a year where, you know, really why we want to do this iconic show is to make sure people remember that you take these things, you take them seriously, but what are you going to do out there when you meet someone, a young kid? How can you impact that child or whoever you around? Because we're all going to leave this world one day, but you want to leave that legacy. And these guys that we talked about, and there's many, many more, mm-hmm. uh, have left a legacy that will last a lifetime. And, and you know, so we just got to keep it going. That's true. All, all of these great men we've discussed today, we're also talking about how their their legacy and their impact will live on forever. Chadwick, through the, the roles that he portrayed, the stories that he told, uh, Black Panther, what that meant to the world, to society. John Lewis, the legislation he passed, the the things he stood for, these great coaches through the, the men they helped mold into not just great basketball players, but great people. They all will live on forever. Uh, and that's what makes them true living. Well, what makes them true icons, you know, uh, that, that yeah. will live on. It's like you said, the uh, Hall of Fame with John DeLiva. I mean, they'll still live on to reality, virtual video, uh, great places like the Hall of Fame will keep carrying their legacy. John Thompson and Lou Olsen, you know, and, I'm, and the film crew, the film committee, they'll do all that with Chadwick as well. And then the mm-hmm. Congress will do with and with uh, John Lewis plus the um, African American Museum in downtown Washington D.C., so you know their legacy will live, and and yeah. it'll come through people like us and people like that that their lives have been touched, but also it'll, it'll carry on. So I'm you know I'm excited to see kind of what happens next, but we're definitely sad that we lose people like that. Well, in a year where we've lost so many, uh, really tops the list. It's a moment kind of like when JFK was assassinated. I hear my parents always say they remember where they were. We all remember where we were this year on January 26th when we got the very sad and tragic and shocking news of Kobe Bryant's passing and the helicopter crash. Um, Ralph, where, where were you when you first heard that news? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this uh, a number of the time, but you're right. No one will, I mean, you won't, you'll, you'll be know where you are. I was in, a, in an office depot, Staples type store, and getting some office supplies. And the guy walks up, one of the attendants there, did you hear what happened to Kobe? He died. I'm like, no, man, shut up. You know, I ain't no, you know, when he died, I said, well, what are you talking about? He died, but they didn't give me any details. So I didn't really believe it. Uh, so I looked at my phone and, Started getting text messages and then I rushed back home and I started to turn on the news and like, okay, great. And then just all the things that you think about, you know, what happened within a helicopter? What are they doing? I mean, you start to wonder how that happened. It's hard to even understand how all this comes together. So, I mean, I think we, you know, in this world needs to figure out how to change and figure out life because when you lose someone like that, you know something is going on. But like you said, you know where you are. You'll never forget in life. I'll never forget it. Obviously, I'm sure you won't either. And it's just sad. I mean, it's just sad that she couldn't live her life and leaving, you know, a young kid that will never know his dad or her dad. Um, mm. That's the hard part as well. And then a wife and other kids there. I mean, they got to live with that the rest of their life. And, you know, they never see his grandkids. I mean, it's, it's just sad. It's just very sad. It's so sad. I mean, he was... Not only an incredible basketball player, but the man that he became and the impact he had off the court. And that to me is what is so tragic is he was really just becoming this figure 
that we all respected, admired, and loved really over the last five to 10 years. I mean, early in his career, he was a talented basketball player, but he also had the reputation of, you know, maybe being selfish, all about himself. There was, you know, there was ups and downs as we all have in our lives. And there were some downs, but really as his career came to an end and he became a veteran leader and a mentor, and then when he did retire and go on to achieve great success, winning an Academy Award and and yeah. writing children's books and, and doing so many other things, television shows. He was just beginning this next chapter, this next phase of his life that was having a huge impact. And it's it's really tragic and sad that we won't get to see and experience uh, and live with the evolution of Kobe Bryant of what was to come, because I believe the best was yet to come. And that that is really heartbreaking um I mean, yeah the young young kid i mean he was you know he was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed i mean he he wanted to be good you know so you could see that as, as a young kid coming from high school to the nba and when he walked up to michael jordan he wanted to talk like michael jordan he wanted to walk he wanted mm-hmm. he wanted everything michael jordan had right and he found a way to achieve most of that right and so you see it you see it in him and he took that off the court as well and I think, you know, with the wife and the kids, especially on all girls, that that changes life, you know, once he started to have kids mm-hmm. and you know, finding the one that wanted to be a basketball player. I mean, understood that again as well. But you see the things like body water and, you know, just the stuff he has and his businesses that he's created. And then the, you know, winning the, the award for the film, the short film, that was serious when it came down to it. And he had evolved. You know, and having the facility with kids coming to play and participate and work out, I mean, sky with the limit. I mean, yeah. it's not a money thing, it's a people thing and a legacy thing. And I'm sure, uh, I met his wife once or twice at Hall of Fame stuff, a very sweet lady, and I'm sure she'll keep that legacy going. But I know that the best, you know, if you have to have a silver lining, LeBron and KD and, 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 and those guys that know Kobe, they will keep that thing going. I mean, they, yeah. they're not going to let Kobe's wife go down and they'll keep his legacy going one way or another. And I'm sure they understand the impact of him, but it's going to be fun to watch what happens you know, next with that as well. Yeah, well, Pau Gasol, he recently posted spending a day with the Bryan family, with the daughters. Uh, mm-hmm. There's so many people that are our family to the Bryants who will be there for them. And the Lakers, as they continue their playoff run, they're wearing their special Kobe Bryant edition jerseys, the rest of the run playing in honor and tribute to him. And the, the outpouring of love and support, the tributes there, they've really only just begun. We've seen so many, but next year with his induction into the hall of fame, they will continue and it will live on forever. I feel very lucky that I moved to Los Angeles about 10 years ago while Kobe was still playing. And I got to see him play numerous times, but two games that stand out to me that I'll always hold near and dear to my heart. The 2016 NBA all-star game in Toronto, Canada, it was his last all-star game. And it was basically a, a Kobe love fest. It's something that you don't often see until unfortunately someone has passed away, the outpouring of love and support. But that's what that whole weekend was. It was his farewell tour and it was the Kobe show. And it was incredible just getting to show your love and appreciation for Kobe Bryant as a fan, other players out there. That was a fun experience. But 
One of the best sporting events I've ever attended in my entire life was a meaningless regular season game, but it meant everything. It was Kobe Bryant's last game that he ever played. It was against the Utah Jazz. I believe the date was April 13th. I could be wrong about that, but that feels right to me. Uh, And I got tickets. I went with uh, one of my best friends, Chase, and uh, we were in the lower bowl. Uh, off in the corner that was very expensive to get tickets to that game, but we just knew we had to be there. And we were in the lower bowl off in the corner near where the tunnel is. And I thought Kobe, you know, there was gonna be so much attention on him hype. I I thought he would score maybe 20 points, 25 points. He went off and ended up, of course, scoring 60 points Mm -hmm. in that game. The arena exploded as if they had just won another NBA championship as he scored bucket after bucket after bucket. Everyone knew he would get the ball, everyone knew he would shoot it, and he just delivered again and again and again. It was so exhilarating Um, and something that is very special. Maybe we'll even show the video. As Kobe Bryant left the court for the very last time in his NBA career, I was right near the tunnel. I ran over to the edge and I threw my hand out. I, I don't normally, you know, fanboy like that. And he gave me a high five. I was the last hand that he touched as he left the basketball court for the last time. And because there was a million cameras on him, you can actually see that moment. You can see my hand, him giving me a high five and, uh, I, I never wanted to wash my hand after that. You know, you hear yeah, like little that, girls yeah. say that about, you know, in sync. But uh, I, I felt that way. I felt like I was a part of that last moment. And it was definitely one of the best sporting events I will ever attend in my entire so what, life. What, what, what was the, you know, so I can only imagine your, 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 you know, everybody wished they had a swan song, right? So. Mm-hmm. Julius Irving had one, Kareem mm-hmm. had one, so they went to every city and they got all these awards. And I can remember when 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 Kareem retired and Julius retired, people gave him motorcycles and rocking chairs and stuff. So they had a right. swan song. Kobe had that swan song as well, and that was the last game. What was the arena like? You know, walking into the arena, you know, seeing the fans in the crowd. But then, you know, Kobe asked, he's gonna go off and get sixty points, which nobody expected. Right, but I can only imagine like okay, it's my last game. I got to have a good dinner. I got you know I got to you know get, I got to do something, get ready because I got to shoot the ball. I got to be on, yeah. and he turned it on, Mamba style, right? So what what was the fan? What was it like just going to the game? It was electric. The energy in there was like an NBA Finals game. You know how you just feel the electricity, you feel the excitement. This game didn't mean anything, who won or lost, no, but no, it no. felt like an NBA Finals game. Just the energy and excitement that was in the building and even from pregame warm-ups just chants of kobe kobe would just erupt spontaneously throughout pregame warm-ups throughout the whole game everyone's eyes were fixated on kobe bryant it could have been just him in the arena and because that's the only person anyone was looking at and then throughout the game you know shaquille o'neal would walk out and Derek no, fisher no, no. and all his former teammates and Pau gasol and everyone was there to pay their respects and honor to him it was a who's who of, i mean kanye west and snoop dogg were courtside and it just turned into one big celebration and love fest and he delivered, hitting shot after shot and leading the team to a comeback to a victory over the Utah Jazz, too, who were still, I think, battling for a playoff spot for the, the eighth seed. Um, and he, he led them to a win. He scored 60 points. And it, it was 
like the Kobe Bryant championship. It, I've never felt an energy in an arena before like that moment. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be a Utah Jazz player in that <laughs> no. game. Like in my history, okay, what was your NBA career like? Well, Kobe Bryant scored 60 points on me in his last game. I mean, yeah. I got to yeah. walk around with that in my – I guess it's okay maybe because of the situation, but I, right. I wouldn't want to carry that because he beat me and he scored 60 points on me. In his last game after 18 years, Achilles tennis tear and the whole uh -huh. deal, he comes back and kicks my tail. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, between the fans and that, but, I mean, being in the arena with everybody there had to be amazing, but I don't know if I could carry the weight of the player. Hey, yeah, it was kick. special. I, I wouldn't want to play him again, you know. Let's go back and play one yeah, more Yeah, no, he's done. He was Mamba out. He, he gave yeah. a speech at the end, Mamba out. He dropped the mic, and, and that was – the mic drop on an incredible yeah. career. Yeah, and yeah. and then he went on to do so many more things in the next four years after retiring uh, that really were truly legendary and incredible, continuing to leave that impact and that legacy. I feel yeah, lucky absolutely. that I got to be there to witness it um, in person, some of his greatness, but he is another legend gone too soon this year. Gone too soon, way too soon. Way yeah. too soon. And I mean, we, we talked about, uh, you know, five of these icons and legends, but we've lost so many more this year mm -hmm. from NBA player Cliff Robinson, who just recently passed away, Curly Neal, a legendary basketball player, Harlem Globetrotter, Tom Seaver, a uh, pitcher from the, the New York Mets. Um, yeah. And then beyond the sports world, just so many true icons, Regis Philbin, uh, who yeah, is... Uh, a hero to me, an uh, amazing television host, Carl Reiner and Jerry yep, Stiller yep. and Fred Willard, uh, comedy legends, Fred Willard mm -hmm. from my hometown of Shaker Heights, Ohio, uh, and and greats in the music world, Bill Withers, uh, one yep, of my yep. favorite artists ever. Great voice, great voice. Oh, yeah. Little Richard, Kirk Douglas, incredible mm -hmm. actor. And the worst part of all of this is the year is is still got a long way to go. We are not even through this yet. We've lost so many, but every single one of these people that we've mentioned, their impact, their legacy uh, will live on forever oh, for all of I mean, time. you know, at the end of every year, the new year, everybody, they always put up the people that have gone this past year. But between the people that we know that are iconic like this, but also the other 190,000 people that lost their lives through the COVID. I mean, it's just a different, it's a yeah. different year. It's, it's, it's funny to even think about these people and their legacy, which is the fun part. But then they, they're gone and Kobe and Chadwick as well, but the other people alive in this world that, you know, are seeing the evolution of a pandemic to a movement. 2020 is just going to be one of the years that, that people will not want to remember and want to soon forget. So hopefully this stuff is gone, you know, pretty quickly here come 2021, because I think we need to all just cherish you know life at the mm -hmm. fullest and enjoy it and understand what it's really all about well it's definitely a year that we will never forget that uh will mark our lives when we look back on them 2020 was hopefully a turning point hopefully we can turn a lot of this into a positive we lost so many greats but we remember what they stood for what they believed in what they fought for and hopefully we can turn that into positive change as we move beyond this year and all of these great figures are gone but never forgotten and ralph thank Absolutely. you for taking some time to uh, remember share some stories of these great men um it's it's sad but also celebratory their incredible lives and legacies 
So thanks for doing that on this. No, uh, you're welcome. Different we all have stories and legacy, so it's good to see our perspective and and tell the story. I mean, great, great experiences and more to come. We have a lot more to do with Center Court, so uh, let's get, we'll keep it moving. That's right. We'll be back with another episode next week. Back to our regularly scheduled program. We'll have a, an incredible guest, so be sure to follow us on social media for some hints as to who that might be. I uh, don't want to give it away just yet, but of course, follow us at Center Court 50, Ralph Sampson 50. I'm Jason Zone Fisher. You can follow me at Jay-Z Fish. Thank you for listening. Thank you for leaving us reviews and ratings. It means a lot as we continue to build an audience and, and build something special here because we want to live leave a legacy behind as well. And uh, this is one of the ways that we're you know trying to do that. Uh, so thank you for listening here. Thank you guys for sure. Have a good day. All right. We'll be back next week with another episode of Center Court. Stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll see you right here. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.